This episode originally aired as a part of my other podcast, Project Shadow. Over there, I have been doing world-building content for a while, and I'm currently moving it all over to this new podcast. New episodes will be appearing soon. I am currently making all of my old content, including World Building 101 and World Building 201, available on this podcast as Season 1 and Season 2 of Myth Weaving. I hope you enjoy, and don't forget to have the fun. Welcome to World Building 201. If you missed my World Building 101 series, I'm going to put a link to the Spotify playlist for it in the description, show notes, whatever it's called on the app that you're listening to me now. 201 is going to be a deeper dive into world building, and I really want to answer a lot more of your questions on these topics. So please send them in to me. You can find links to the voice message system and all of my social media in the show notes. Today's topic will be religion and starting to touch on the topic of mythology. So let's get world building on this episode of Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name is Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And today I want to talk about, well, world building and specifically world building religion. Now, this is kind of my introduction to world building mythology, which is what we're going to be talking about next week. But these two usually go hand in hand. And we've talked a little bit about mythology and religion previously in the 101 series. And I want to go a bit deeper this time around. One of the great weaknesses of most stories and storytelling is when the topic of religion gets brought up, it's either so thin and flimsy, it doesn't make sense. It's there as a convenient plot device that gives an excuse for a character to either behave altruistically or badly, depending on the use of the religion, or it is there so that the author can pontificate on whatever their personal beliefs are. And none of those are good things. None of those are good things. You should not be doing any of those when you are trying to do a good story. You see, when you are including religion in your fiction, it needs to feel like it's a part of the characters' lives. Whether the characters are themselves religious or not, it would have an effect on the world. It would have an effect on the setting, the culture, and pretty much everything that the characters live through. Think about it. Can you imagine the United States where you didn't see Easter things around Easter or Christmas around Christmas? Some people might really enjoy that and want that, but it shows the cultural heritage that this country has gone through. Santa Clauses and Christmas trees and manger scenes appear all over the place. Stars appear on buildings for apparently no reason if you don't know the cultural context. And that's what religion should do for your setting. Even if your characters aren't in and of themselves religious, it can be a very important thing to realize the cultural context in which they arose and in which they live. 
You see, if we want our worlds to be truly immersive, one of the things that we need to understand is the milieu in which they swim. What is the medium in which they breathe and live their daily lives in? If there is a predominant cultural religion in the setting that they are a part of, or if there ever was one, then that will have a marked effect on their lives, on their culture, and how everything is done. The United States, for example, wouldn't be the country that it was if it wasn't for the fact that it was a kind of a harbor, a safe port for a lot of Protestant groups that were fleeing in the wake of the Reformation. So that idea of the Protestant work ethic, the idea of sin and judgment, and the idea that we are all sinners in the hand of an angry God who dangles us like a spider from his web over hell. And yes, that was an actual sermon delivered back in the day by Jonathan Edwards. Those are baked into our culture, whether you personally practice those religions or not. That is what makes us who we are. So in understanding that about our settings, we get a much deeper, richer, more textured feel for the worlds that our characters not only inhabit, but the stories that should be taking place within them. The first major bugaboo that we need to address when it comes to world-building religion is this idea of the structure and tension between mythos, purely mythological stories that have no root or basis in reality, and historical narrative that has over time turned into legend, or if you're writing a fantasy or science fiction story, possibly had a very mythic telling in the first place. <sighs> Philosophical religions do exist and have existed since the dawn of time, purely thought-based systems. If you want to study one really closely, because I find them personally fascinating, look up the Pythagoreans. Yeah, that Pythagoras, the triangle guy that you learned about in school who did a lot of math stuff and gave us some of our earliest geometric understandings of the world. Yeah, he was also seen as a sort of messianic figure in the Roman Empire, and there was an entire religion based around him that worshipped numbers and idealized images of what lay beyond. And they're a very interesting group, and one that you should pay a little bit of attention to. If you want to actually see how Pythagoras himself gets mythologized, in the final chapters of The Metamorphosis by Ovid, he actually includes the story of Pythagoras and the rise of the Pythagoreans as an almost legendary beginning of the Golden Age that will result in getting, giving us Caesar Augustus. So, it doesn't have to be based in supernatural events. It doesn't have to be based in anything more than a very charismatic teacher. But, even if you are dealing with a story that is in a contemporary style setting, or a setting in which you don't think magic actually exists, or that miracles do happen. It's important to note that miracle workers have been a part of every culture 
in antiquity. We can find them all over the place. And the idea that somebody would be given the attribution of son of God was also not uncommon in earlier tales. Prophets had visions, and they shared them with the masses. Some founded religions, some were part of expanding other religions, some created offshoots of religions. All of these things are rooted in personal experience. And that is the important thing to remember here. It's that experience that the characters and the people in the world will find most important. Religion, after all, is an experiential thing. For all of our blindness, because we grew up in a culture heavily influenced by Protestantism, which believes that people can be argued into faith, that's not really how any of that works on a psychological level. People are convinced or unconvinced of a religion's veracity much more by their experience in either the practice of the religion or with the followers of said religion. So when you're constructing yours, don't worry too much about whether or not you want the events to be historical or purely mythological. They could be either. They could be a mix of both. American civil religion is based off of real events. The Civil War happened. The Revolutionary War happened. Most of the characters that we talk about are real. Now, George Washington never cut down a cherry tree and couldn't tell a lie or any of the other things that have been added to this civil religion over time. But it's there. And civil religion is a topic in and of itself that if you want to, we can get into. Because not all religion is religious. Some of it is secular, and some of it is civil, based around the state. And that's a very interesting thing that a lot of stories do not take into effect unless they're dealing with a god-emperor of some sort. That's not always the case. So, that's something that you really need to be careful about when you are constructing a religion. It can have any of any kind of start, or it could be in the murky past where no one quite remembers. The important thing is what the religion is and how it affects people's lives. I am pulling some of the insights for this portion from an episode of Religion for Breakfast titled What Does It Mean to Be Religious, which I've linked in the show notes. I find these distinctions, especially for a writer, really easy for us to use to make our stories better. We're going to begin by talking about the 4C framework of religion, which is creed, code, cult, and community. When you are building your religion, these four C's are the cornerstone of the religion itself. The creed is what they believe. The code is how they act. The cult is both the institution that builds up around these th things, as well as the rituals and observances that are a part of it. And the community is just that. There is a huge difference between the cult and the community, the actual religious institution, and how that institution is lived in the daily lives of the people. Now, that distinction 
could be a result of how the clergy are the only ones who are able to perform the rites, for example, which is true in some forms of religion. It could be that a particular caste or bloodline or family are the only ones allowed to perform the actual rites of the religion. And thus, a very hard distinction between the cult and the community exists. Or it could be that people show up for observances, but the home is a much more central part of the faith or the private practice itself. Buddhism, for example, depending on which form of Buddhism you are looking at, shows this distinction quite well. So in Theravada and a lot of those styles of Buddhism, and this is also true in Mahayana and Vajrayana Buddhism, you see a marked interest in the monastic side of the religion. So that being the cult, that at a young age or at some point in your life, you will give so many years to monastic practice, where you will take vows, you will have your hair cut, you will live in accordance to the rules of the monastic community, and they are seen as the ones, especially in Vajrayana, in, I'm sorry, in Theravada Buddhism, they are seen as the ones who are actively on the path of enlightenment. They are the ones who have the highest likelihood of becoming an arhat or attaining enlightenment. Mahayana opens this up a bit more, as does Vajrayana, saying that there are practices that a lay practitioner can do, and they're not simply there to help the monks survive so that they can achieve enlightenment. That's a that's an oversimplification, but you know, we don't have time to do a full lecture on every religion in here, so hopefully that wasn't offensive to anybody. I have a great fondness for Buddhism. You can also see this in the early Catholic Church and in some instances of the modern Catholic Church, where for somebody to be considered a religious Catholic, they actually must have taken vows and be a part of a holy order. The average layperson is not considered religious in most Catholic circles, and this is why you have the rise of the sodalities and fraternities and confraternities that allow for oblates or non-monks, people who aren't monks or nuns or priests, to be religious practitioners of the faith. Now, in other places, it's much more lax, and those restrictions do not apply. But when you are constructing your religion, remember to pay special attention to what you are doing with the creed. What do they believe? Their code, exactly how do they believe they should act? The cult, which is the institution and the rituals that make the religion what it is. And the community around it and how it is structured and how people bring the religion home. Because, let's be honest, if the religion isn't brought home, it doesn't have a high likelihood of survival. When the Mughals invaded India, for example, most of the Buddhists that were in the country, the country of origin for Buddhism, were Theravada Buddhists, and they were in monasteries. So when the monasteries were raided and the monks killed in the invasions, the religion pretty much died out in the country and had to be reintroduced from elsewhere. These are important things to think about as you're constructing your religion.
I really want to take a moment to talk about the purpose of ritual and practice, because this is in so many ways where I see ah, fictional religions going off the rails. This is where, for me, the magic gets broken and I get pulled out of the story. Joseph Campbell said, and I think quite rightly, that religious ritual is the enactment of the sacred story. So in most religions, you have this very close relationship between the narrative mythos of the religion and the ritual practice of that religion. The Catholic Mass, a very good example of this, where they are reenacting the crucifixion of Christ. In Judaism, you have the bris, or the various satyrs that take place over Passover, where you are reliving and reenacting the stories of the faith. You can see this in every religion. The actions that you are taking, the rituals that you are taking part in, are reenactments of the story. They are reenactments where you, depending on the variety of the faith, of the faith being practiced, either become present, add yourself to the original event, or through memorializing it, sacralize and make it holy and personal to you in your own life. Don't forget that. When you're dealing with religious rituals, the whole point of them is to either connect you to the faith in question, the variant deities and saints of the faith, or to bring some ease or cathartic change in one's emotional state. They're not always about bringing about miracles or having great powerful things happen. Though the anointing of the sick, for example, in the Catholic Church and many other Christian denominations, is a good example of a religious service that is designed to bring about healing and to bring a miracle into people's lives. The rituals that take place at Lourdes in France, for example, being another. But most religious services are about bringing the community together in reenactment of the original traumas or original victories of the religion itself. And as such, they connect the people involved to those original stories, making them more a part of their life. In other words, the many of the rituals that should be a part of your faith that you are constructing for your story, they should make the practitioner feel like they are a part of the story, or at least a part of the community that arose from the story. Now, you can have fun with whether or not the character actually feels that connection while undergoing any of these rituals should they appear in your story. Or maybe that's one of the reasons that they lost their faith. But that is the primary purpose. You are reliving. You are invoking those powers from the story, from the mythos, from the tales themselves into your very life. So be sure to do that in your rituals. They're not, they shouldn't all just be a version of the Catholic Mass or a generalized prayer service. They should be individuated as much as you can into your setting. How would people of your faith practice your religion? This to me, and I'm just going to talk about the TV series here, was one of the great flaws of Game of Thrones. 
we get this wonderful image in the first season of how the practice of the religion of the old gods is done with the making of the wreath and going out under the weirwood trees. It was really interesting and powerful. Then the rest of the series, we pretty much just get lip service to the faiths that are important to the characters here. The faith of the nameless god, of the faceless god, and the seven and the rest. It's really meaningless. It doesn't inform anything. It doesn't show us anything about this or why people would be rapidly devoted to, to it. Religion, in most respects, is kept alive through the vibrancy of its rituals and how those rituals affect the community. So don't neglect them if they are to be an important part of your setting. Now, when you're thinking about the faith of the individual practitioner, of the individual, of the character in the story, Ben Marcus's 3B framework is really good for this. And the three Bs are belief, behavior, and belonging. And you can see how these connect to the four Cs that we talked about earlier. So belief is the doctrine, the theology, the sacred text, the values of the religion. In other words, our creed and code. Exactly what is the belief of the character? So when you're constructing your religion, it may be fun or helpful for you to construct the four Cs of the religion, and then for the characters in question, address how the four Bs manifest, I'm sorry, the three Bs manifest in their life. So exactly what do they believe? Do they believe the stories are absolutely true? Do they believe a variant on the stories? Because be assured every faith has variants on their stories. Do they believe in the practice, but not the stories? Do they believe in the stories, but modify the practice? Exactly how does their belief inform their lives? The second B, behavior. These are the rituals and habits of daily life. This is kind of what I was talking about when I was talking about Game of Thrones. And we see this in the lives of the people who practice the faith of the old gods, but we really don't see it in anyone else. If you are practicing a religion, if you have a character practicing a religion, it would in some way inflect itself in your life. Be it through moments of contemplation and prayer. Maybe it would be warding off the evil eye or getting rid of the tongue of God, the evil tongue, which is the, when someone hears gossip, there is a prayer or blessing to ward off the evil of the gossip. There are a lot of ways that this can be inflected into our characters' lives. It might be in their garb. Are they Catholic? Do they wear a rosary? Do they wear a crucifix? Are they wearing religious medals? Are they really wearing a scapular? Any of these things could be part of their behavior that they take on every day. Continuing on the Catholic line, do they say the rosary daily? Do they say the Hail Mary? Do they say the Our Father at the appointed hours? What do they do? How is it inflected into their life? Now, they could be extremely religious and do all the things, or barely religious and do none of the things. That's very dependent on the character themselves. 
But in a world where a religion exists, and there are actual adherents to it, there would be standardized daily behaviors. Do they practice something like the Sabbath, where they're going to light candles and have a communal meal to welcome in the day of rest? Do they go to a regular church service like a Sunday morning? Do they have Sunday schools? Do they have vacation Bible schools? Do they go on meditation retreats? What is What are the behaviors that inform the daily lives of the practitioners of the faith? And which ones are your characters participating in, if any? This is a good way to differentiate between a very religious and a non-religious character in your story without having to get on a high horse and pontificate about the values of the faith. If we see a character, for example, to sorry to keep going back to Catholicism, but you know, my roots. If we see a character that every time something bad happens, crosses themselves and mutters a silent prayer and a character who just shakes their head at them and doesn't respond in kind, we immediately understand the religiosity of both of these characters and where they are coming from. We don't need to go into any kind of long-winded discussion about what they think about the faith. Their opinion is very clear. So be mindful about this when you are telling your stories. How are the characters themselves reacting? How are they responding? How are they becoming part of or separating themselves from the cultural milieu of the religion as it affects their lives. Do they belong? Do they feel like they belong? What shape does that belonging manifest in their life? When you take these three Bs into effect on the character level, you are bringing all of the four Cs that we talked about earlier down into the individual and seeing them as the character that they should be and allowing that cultural context, allowing that world building that you've done to actually impact the story. And that's what we want to have happen with our world building. The most important thing when you are telling a story that involves a religion or multiple religions is remembering the difference between authenticity and preachiness. Authenticity means that the characters in the story seem to have an authentic belief in what it is that they practice. This is diametrically opposed to and the exact opposite, the exact opposite of preachiness. Preachiness is when the character becomes the mouthpiece of the author to speak for or against whatever it is that the characters believe. Don't do this. Do not do this. Resist the urge to do this, no matter how much you may want to do it. Unless it somehow serves the story, preachiness is not a good look on your characters or on you. Now, like I said, there are places for this. If you're writing a story that has a character in it, like Dr. Martin Luther King, who often quoted scripture and often made allusions to religious stories, then he's a preacher. He's probably going to preach at some point in the story. Okay, that makes sense. But remember to treat it lightly and to be very careful how you put it into your story. 
Preachy characters are very hard to like. Preachy characters can really easily come off condescending even if they don't mean to. You know, kind of how you're feeling about me right now because I have been pontificating for 27 minutes about my personal beliefs about how it is best to craft a religion for a fictional setting, and I'm giving you rules now that I think are important to follow. Yeah, it comes off a little preachy, and I'm sorry for that. But when you're thinking about authenticity, remember, to be authentic means that the ideas come naturally from the character, that the actions and words come naturally from the character. If the character is the kind of person when they see something bad that crosses themselves and says a brief prayer, then that will be reflected in the rest of their life. If there's somebody who every time an event happens decides to stop the action, stop everything, tell everybody to shut the F up because they now need to give a sermonette on exactly how important it is that we do the right things, say the right things, and do not misbelieve, that's preachy. And it's a fine line. What some people find authentic, other people will find preachy, and vice versa. So, there's not really a hard and fast rule that I can give you there. It's just, if the character is going off on a long, long tirade about what they believe, ask yourself if it needs to be in the story. Does it actually serve the narrative? Because if it's not moving the story forward, we're just probably either going to skip it or check out at that point. All right. I hope you enjoyed this. And I'm kind of excited to be bringing back world building. <laughs> We're not going to be doing it daily like we did last time, but it will be a regular world building Wednesday episode. So do check back. Next week, we will be talking about mythology and mythos and how to bring depth to your worlds through the mythology surrounding your characters. And we will go into further detail into world building after that. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear addressed on the show, in the show notes you will find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short. I think they cut you off at one minute and clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to answer your questions. If you would rather hit me up on social media, I am C. Dorset on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. If you would like to join Lauren and Eva who are my two newest patrons. Thank you very much, you two. In the show notes, you'll find a link to the listener support, my coffee account, and Patreon, just depending on which is easier for you and which one you want to do. Thank you so much to everybody who does that. You really are the light that gives me hope. If you don't have any money right now, or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. But if you think you know anybody who would like anything that I do, please share it with them. Getting people to know that my work exists is the hardest part of the job. All right. If you haven't checked it out already, check out my YouTube channel. I've been doing a lot of fun stuff over there. I just hit 100 subscribers, and I, I, I'm just blown away by that. And I also do live streams every Wednesday and Thursday where we do writing together. Friday is a fanfiction day, but you can bring any project you want. We don't discriminate. Alrighty. Oh, and don't forget to check out the Discord. The link is working and the community is working as well. Link in the description. Alrighty. <laughs> I mean it this time. 
don't forget we haven't changed anything we have to keep moving forward black lives matter black trans lives matter say her name <sighs> one day we will not have to say that anymore because we will have fixed things but until that day we're going to remind you now get out there and get some words done get some world building and don't forget to have the fun bye